1: It's my pleasure to introduce the CEO and founder of Hubble, Mr. Tom Parker. Tom, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy.
2: Hey, Andy. Great to be on. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Yeah, man. Look, it's been a long time coming. We've known each other for a long time. You've had, you know, continued success in this industry. It's been fun watching you grow and develop. I'd love for you. You have a fascinating career. If you might share with the audience a little bit about kind of how you got into cyber and a little bit
2: about your journey. Yeah, it's interesting. I get that uh, that question fairly often. And I think uh, the way I see it, there's there's two types of people generally that get into the cyber domain. Um, first, that those just fall into it by accident. And I think most of us that have been around for 20, 25 years in the industry before we really had an industry fall into that category. Uh, we were tinkerers, we were breakers, uh, we were coders, we were systems admins. Um, uh, in my case, uh, I was writing video game reviews for, uh, for one of the biggest, uh, magazines out of the UK computer shopper magazine, which was a Dennis publishing, uh, rag. And it was, uh, you know, huge, this huge doorstop level, uh, magazine that, uh, <laughs> that had a lot of commercials in it, but it had a lot of great editorial. I bought my first magazine from that, um, from the magazine and, uh, and I, I realized the editorial offices were uh, pretty close by uh, my uh, where I lived in this very rural town in uh, nowhere in you know, middle of nowhere in England. And I ended up chatting with them and they said, hey, you know, do you want to come and chat? We're trying to hire. I was 15 years old, believe it or not. Um, I was, uh, you know, a, 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 um, a floundering teenager, if you will, you know, trying to figure out your way trying to figure out you know, is this, you know, am I really going to do university? I'm interested in computers. Can they really provide me what I need? Um, And I was offered this amazing opportunity and um, you know, I, I, it started with video game reviews and it's turned into reviewing hardware. And, And at the time, a lot of the hardware as it is today was running Linux. And so I, I became fascinated with, the fact that there were there were things beyond windows uh, must must have been very early windows 95 it might have been windows 95 just about at the time and uh, i started tinkering with linux and then that drew me into security i realized that there was a whole community out there that was starting to dedicate itself to understanding the flaws in these operating systems uh, and uh, you know i just um, i fell in love with it and uh, I, I wrote some of the very first articles for Computer Shopper about computer security. I uh, started traveling to DEFCON and Black Hat in the in the late 90s, and it, you know it, it really evolved from there. I mean, I've been extremely fortunate to m- work with and meet some of the most brilliant minds in the industry, uh, mostly at at security conferences, and and certainly, uh, you know, I think. You know, they say that luck is a, a, a combination of preparation and timing, right? And so, I think the timing was just just spot on in yeah. terms of how the industry was evolving at that time. And now, I've been extremely, extremely fortunate, and and that that experience ultimately resulted in me moving from from the UK to the US. At the time, I was working for a small company called Netsec. Uh, that you may recall, out here in Virginia, that was acquired by MCI, became Verizon Business Security Solutions. So yeah, and um, very it's, cool. It's been a fun journey. Yeah,
1: and I love that it starts with gaming. Like my daughter, yeah. says, <laughs> you know, she's trying to work on her YouTube channel. You know, to like get get more, <laughs> get it off the ground. You never know. You never know. It's so funny to hear yeah. it's the the commonality. Who knows? Maybe she'll be talking to me as a, you know, a podcaster as a CEO of a of a, a up and coming cybersecurity startup one day that's already had an exit. Um, it be great. So, so let me, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, the, the fusion XD. So you, you've, you know, built a company, sold it. Right. And, and that journey to me is always really fascinating. And I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, kind of how you went from, um, you know, how fusion X got started and then, you know, some of the lessons learned you had as an entrepreneur going through that process of starting and selling. Um, Cause obviously when you get acquired, you, you guys get acquired by Accenture and then you go into, you know, big behemoth companies, right. That are doing things around the world. Um, that's a transition too. Right. So I'd love to hear you know, that experience from in your perspective.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So FusionX was really um, the result of of a relationship I'd, I'd had for many years with Matt Devoe, who I was lucky enough to meet in the in the early 2000s. Matt and I met at a, a working group focused on studying the cyber adversary, and we ended up writing a book together, a cyber adversary characterization. Uh, and at the time it was just a really lengthy book and no one really cared that much about attribution back then and and today it's 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 the hot topic right everyone wants to know who did it yep um and so Matt and I you know became fast friends Matt at the time was a, a an adjunct professor over at Georgetown University here in the DC area and i uh, i was a guest lecturer for him so i was i was flying out once a semester to uh, before i even before i'd moved permanently to the us and uh, back in 2010 i was uh, running a, a, a pro services organization at a, at at uh, at a company called securicon and matt you know we, we sat down we would have catch up lunches we sat down literally back of the napkin conversation we were think talking about the gaps in the in the industry from a consulting standpoint the commodi- commoditization of professional services The uh, increased focus on compliance versus actual security, Uh, you know, things like PCI certainly have moved the needle, in my opinion, but um, not to be confused with an agile security program. And we noticed that there were more and more organizations that were getting breached and they really didn't know what it felt like to be breached that, that was the first time, right? They they didn't have a playbook. They'd never, or at least if they did have a playbook, they'd never really done a dry run. And if they did a dry run, it was on, on a tabletop with with a bunch of paper and, and no real realism to the, no stress. To the event, right? <laughs> no stress, exactly. And so we started a company to change all of that. We, we wanted um, organizations to feel the pain without the consequences of uh, experiencing a real adversary event in their environment. Many cases, it was the board of directors or the CEO that only knew that we were going to do the, do the work. Um, a lot of our contracts were just uh, IT outsourcing contracts, so it didn't look like any security work was actually happening and um, not only would we simulate realistic attacks, but we would follow through. I think what a lot of security assessments are lacking these days is the punchline, the so what factor. Um, Why should I care about this? Um, Sure, you've given me a list of vulnerabilities. Some of them are high risk, but I really don't understand why that should matter to me. And so what we did was we, we went to the next step. We would actually leverage the issues to move millions of dollars of Um, of of funds from a treasury account at a central, at a bank, for example, to an offshore account to test their fraud controls, to test whether they would actually see it happening. Of course, the target bank account was under the control of the the client. We weren't actually taking money from them. Um, And so... It was uh, it was really exciting work, and and we because of the, the how exciting the work was. I mean, you talk to a pen tester that really loves pen testing; they'll tell you the number one frustration is they never get to really follow through with the engagement. They get to, to- they get told they have to stop by the client, or they yeah. have you know they're they're told, hey, we got to do this during out of our uh, out of hours or during a, during a change management window. Adversaries don't care about that, right? So. You know, they could, for once in their lives, in their careers, come and do something that was as close to the real thing um, without being an actual criminal or without working for an organization like, uh, like uh, you know, a Five Eyes uh, intelligence organization. So it, it was extremely exciting work. We had amazing clients. Um, and uh, yeah, of course, Accenture recognized the value and many other companies. I think we chatted with, you know, moving on to the acquisition we chatted with I think over 17 different companies, uh, and it's it's wow. it's a bit of a dating game, right? You're you're trying to figure out who you want to marry. Um, I would say, you know, advice for anyone out there that that is is trying to be is is trying to sell their company. Um, unless you're really on the rocks, don't do it, right? That's not the right mindset. You want to be acquired, you don't want to sell. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I get the question, well, when's the right time to do that? You'll know. Right. It's it's when you get the 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 inbound interest when you get the uh, the the fifteen phone calls to to please can we meet at, at RSA at the time and uh, yeah I mean yeah that's great Accenture man. was a was a great partner yeah that's that's
1: fantastic man. I'm I'm so happy for your success but but like with any other you know kind of end there's a new beginning right and then you know after your Accenture days you kind of you know back into the private sector and you know the AIG and then you know, now you're kind of back in entrepreneurial, you know, game again. Um, You know, what was it that drove you to, you know, start Hubble?
2: Well, for my, for my whole career, I've really flirted with the idea of uh, starting a product company. Uh, It's starting a company in general is not something you just go do uh, for this, for the heck of it. Uh, You'll generally not be very successful if, if you, if you think of it that way. Um, You know, I've, I've looked at, hundreds of products throughout my career, you know, as a CTO of, of Accenture security business, I would get inundated by uh, vendors that wanted to partner with actually more, more so than I was when I was a CISO, funny enough. Uh, <laughs> and so I saw a lot of technologies out there and um, that really allowed me to understand the gaps in the market where people were really focused um, you know the, the balance between execution versus the, the effectiveness of the product because they're two very different things. And I think the, the interplay between those two things for a successful product business is, is super important. Um, so I knew I wanted to do it. It was really a question of timing and preparation, support, and and of course, having an idea, uh, being laser-focused on an industry problem that, that I knew I could go and solve. And so throughout my career, I had observed security breaches that were avoidable. I'd observed um, opportunities for organizations to transform their technology stack, but they didn't, couldn't because they didn't understand what technologies they already had. Um, all of these different challenges throughout organizations, you know, compliance, right? notices, nasty grams from regulators like the OCC in the financial services space, um, because the organization wasn't adhering to uh, the FFIEC hammer. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. And so, you know, the challenge of asset management played into a theme that I um, have coached my customers for, for a long, long time around getting back to basics. You know, th- there's a lot of whiz bang security technologies out there today and, and, you know, IT operations technologies, and you name it—that that leverage blockchain and uh, you know ML and AI and all, all of the whiz bang uh, you know phrases that we use in in, in the industries today. But um, it fit into a theme of you know we really still are failing when it comes to some of these fundamental um, underpinning concepts in an, in any organization that we have to get right to really make. Um, make most use of some of the the more innovative technologies in our in our network, and so that's that's kind of what really drove me to do it. Um, you know, obviously, I love company being, building companies. I love building building things. Even though I haven't run a ton of product companies in my in my career, I've always been a builder, right? Everything I've done, uh, even if it's been in consulting, you know, I've always um, encouraged my teams to build technologies to help um make their delivery of services more efficient so yeah so that's how it it got got started yeah i mean i can't wait to dive into
1: your perspective on you know go deeper into the problem but yeah my my favorite always in the ir game was always well i had no idea that was still connected to the network or i didn't know that was still there (laughs) communicating right like i thought we turned that off already Right. And just that lack of awareness and understanding of, you know, really what their attack, you know, surface looks like. So it's good. We'll dive in a little bit more when we get back, we got to take a quick, quick commercial break. Hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram. By searching at TF7 Radio, you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.readis at tf7radio.com. That's george.readis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause some quick messages from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with CEO and founder of Hubble, Tom Parker whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook.
3: Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice
4: America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Cynet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem superconnector, Cynet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Cynet's global community to empower your organization. And the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet. S i n e t.
5: In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
1: Well, Tom, we started to hint that uh, you know, asset inventory being one of the bigger challenges that organizations are facing today. But what, what else are you seeing out there, man?
2: Yeah, so I think that there's two big areas that I see as as systemic challenges to to a lot of organizations. And I think at a highest level, the big one I think is organizational commitment, institutional commitment to to cybersecurity as being a uh, strategic imperative for the growth of the business. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, you see a lot of organizations that will hire a high profile CISO, they'll put out some press releases, they'll uh, you know, have a, a very public view of, of, of cybersecurity and their commitment to it, but under under the hood, right? I think it's, it's very different. The, the CISO is still reporting up through technology. The, the budget for the individual and the headcount just doesn't support uh, the the things that the, the individual wants to, to to execute on and the support across the, the organization and the IT organizations and in the businesses just isn't there and so for us to solve many of the the challenges that we have in in security today whether it be patch management or deployment of technologies that are going to help us detect and respond more agilely to, to threats, uh, or whether it's for that matter, uh, our ability to stay on top of regulations or ahead of regulations, it really does require that institutional commitment, uh, the support from the board, the visibility to the board, uh, without a filter, by the way, yeah. uh, the reporting structure, the head count and, um, the 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 understanding at the business level that listen we might need to sacrifice revenue. The day may come where we have to say listen we can't ship this product or we can't start delivering this service or we need to um, slow roll our customer um, um, deployment for, for a particular thing you know. So um, in 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 order to make sure it's secure right, in order to really invest in our future so that when we do go launch this thing or enter this market or whatever whatever the the business growth lever is that we do it in a in a resilient manner that uh, that will not put the organization at risk in the long term i think we we think in a very short-sighted manner about security uh, things may be good for a year uh, but the next year there's headcount freezes or budget right. reductions or whatever it might be and so i think that's that's the first big one
1: yeah. I mean, and it's a huge one. Right. And, and I, and I kind of ask you, man, like I, why do you think that is like the news cycle is crazy, right? Is it, is it like overhype to the point where people are like, Oh, that'll never happen to us, even though it's happening to everybody. And, or is it that CISOs are still not able to communicate security in business terms in a way that gives them a seat at the table where, you know, CEOs and executive other executives feel like they're a true, you know, capital C, like a real C-level executive versus just having a title for compliance? Like, where where do you think that is?
2: You know, probably about, gosh, it must have been 15 or 16 years ago. uh, Someone mentioned to me that 80% of home burglar alarms are sold after the fact, right? After there's been an event and um, you'd hope that 15 years later, that's changed, that we, we think a bit more proactively. And I think we probably do now. Um, I, I would imagine that stat, I would hope that stat has, has, has changed, but I, I haven't seen it change as much in cybersecurity. Uh, I think that certainly the organizations that I chat with that uh, have made the, the most steps forward for uh, from a... An institutional commitment. So I think the work that Jamil is doing, for example, over at Equifax, uh, Jamil's a, a, an amazing guy. I, I've uh, had the opportunity to work with him at the World Economic Forum Center for Cybersecurity, and uh, and just what they've done in terms of organizational level commitment to security has just been incredible. Um, you, you see the CEO talking about it in in the in the quarterly reporting calls. It's it's just uh, you know they really they really do. Um, uh, execute on on what they what they say. I, I think for other organizations, um, even after there's been an event, it's, you know, it's a short term blip in an increase in funds. Um, but the ultimately, the, the I would say the, the the common factor I see is, is the businesses really need it's, it's in the businesses right where it re- really needs to change, because that's where the money's being made. And there's a, um, I think people are cautious about messing with the businesses because they're the money makers. But at the end of the day, um, that's where I see a lot of the the change, the cultural changes really need to happen in terms of the way that they build product uh, or, or whatever the the, the mechanism of, of revenue generation is for that organization. Yeah, no, and it's true, right? You got to have that business lens attached to everything
1: we do. We're securing a business, right? And at the end of the day, like it's got to fit into what the business wants to do to be successful. But conversely, you know, business leaders have to take it into account and make sure they have an informed opinion and to make decisions around how security is going to impact the revenue, you know, going forward. Exactly. Yep. That's right. So, so let's switch gears for one quick second. Cause like the one thing that is impacting people's bottom lines right now in in multiple sectors is ransomware. you know, and you are starting to see a lot more with the EO. You've got new security mandates, regulations are coming out. Um, data privacy is obviously picking up everywhere still. Um, but do you think you know what we're doing with the with the Biden administration's doing with the recent EO is is
2: enough? I think it's a it's a good step in uh, in the right direction. I think anyone that's been in the DC area uh, working with uh, you know briefing. People in in Congress and and uh, and other policymakers for a while, uh, such as I have, I think, are a little bit skeptical of anything like that, uh, because even you know, dating back to the Bush and Clinton administrations, we've seen uh, security gu- guidance come out of the White House. Uh, ultimately, an EO has no funding behind it. I think a lot of people don't realize that, uh, and really, it takes acts of Congress to to to, uh, to drive funds. Um, in the uh, to, towards initiatives that can benefit the private sector, obviously an EO can direct uh, federal organizations to implement certain policies, but it doesn't help much in the private sector where where we see a lot of these challenges, such as the colonial pipeline. And so I think it it's it's a start, but I do think uh, you know throughout my career I've gone back and forth on on, on the the necessary the necessity excuse me of of regulations and. I think that, you know, there is definitely a time and a place. I think, you know, I've spent a lot of time working with the electric utilities, oil and gas, and it's only because of the creation of, of NERC and the CIP standards that some of these organizations have even considered uh, cybersecurity controls. Uh, they were otherwise happy to uh, continue operating in, in relatively ignorant bliss. And so I think, um, you know, we're seeing that in, in some organizations. And so, yeah, I think we, we do need some level of regulation in, in private industries to, to move the needle. Uh, I, I don't believe that um, it, it is the, the only answer, but I think it will, it will certainly help in some of these uh, less regulated industries that uh, are really, really lacking uh, the, the types of controls that you might see in place in, for example, a, a sophisticated financial services organization.
1: You know, in the at the top of the show, we talked a little mentioned kind of going back to basics. And if you think about the basics, you kind of, you know, get down to like, you know, simple frameworks like CIS top 20. And the first control, right, is uh-huh. tested inventory. And we're and, and that's kind of where you're back into this space and you're like, you know, everyone's known about this forever. And you know, you're kind of now building a new company around this top control. Um but I think the way you're doing it is actually pretty cool. And I'd like for you to dive into that a little bit. So I think this concept of asset intelligence uh, versus inventory, I think is really cool. And uh, w- w- how do you define
2: intel- asset intelligence over inventory? Yeah, so so I think the, the first thing to uh, think about just as a foundation is how we, how we make best use of threat intelligence today in the security space. So uh, you see a lot of organizations that um subscribe to threat intelligence feeds but but do not no, nothing with them and i uh, i'll often refer to that as like signing up for a gym membership and then not actually going to the gym um you, you're not going to get a, a ton of benefit from that um but once you start integrating threat intelligence into your firewalls into your sim into your uh, security automation technologies and really start making uh strategic and tactical Automated at times decisions based on uh, that that threat intelligence. That's where it really becomes um, helpful to the organization. And so, fast forward now to to asset intelligence. So, I think it's one thing to have an inventory, and and definitely having an inventory is 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 critical. And the the focus. In a lot of the, the organizations today that have uh, coined themselves as cybersecurity asset management technologies are really focused on just that one point of uh, we need to create an inventory of things. And, and, you know, without a doubt, they've helped move the needle. We thank them for that. But it's definitely uh, there's a lot of work to be done there still. And so our, our perspective on it is that uh, asset intelligence is a lot more holistic. It's a lot bigger than just cybersecurity there are organizations far beyond the security organization that are also struggling from a lack of uh, um, asset uh, an understanding of their assets. Um, it isn't just about creating a, a, an Excel spreadsheet sitting in the cloud in a SaaS platform, right? It, it, it's about providing the context about the assets, how they're being used, who are they being used by, um, what revenue do they represent in the organization? And so only then can you really, I think, empower the operator, whether they're sitting in a SOC or whether they're sitting in an uh, IT organization to, to really make informed decisions, uh, strategic informed decisions about the assets. And then you know, there's the automation side of the house where I'm trying to uh, make decisions about um, responding to a security incident. I need to know whose laptop this is, can I isolate the app laptop or not automatically? Or is this something that represents um, risk beyond the actual security event if I take it offline? And so, you know, that's really the holy grail, right? And and so that's what we we believe strongly that we have the solution for, um, unlike many of the other players in, in the market that are more focused on really just that inventory problem. And um, listen, we're, we're getting amazing traction. We, we're, we've been very lucky to get some, um, great partners, great pi- early adopters that really recognize this problem. And it really does get back to that, going back to your point, the foundation of back to basics, understanding the the assets, understanding how they're being used by who. Um, you know, listen, if you if you think about some of the more uh, leap ahead technologies like CrowdStrike, some of the next gen EDR, how do you know it's been deployed on all the things that it needs to be on? Um, if you've got gaps, what risk do those assets represent? Um, patch management. How do you know that you're patching everything that needs to get patched? Do your vulnerability scanners actually touching every network in the environment that you actually have or are there subnets that you didn't know about? Uh, there's all of these um, use cases that uh, I think as an industry, we've made the mistake of focusing on the higher level topics such as uh, or other like the lower level topic topics, excuse me, like patch management, without first thinking about what are the things I need in place for that program to be successful.
1: Yeah, man, it's it's such an interesting concept because everyone is still struggling with this. And as IoT continues to explode, companies still have no idea what's on their network. You know, and I think the approach you're taking around trying to give people like leverage their data and like, you know. They're their best intelligence source, but they don't actually use it, right? And by the way, I am guilty of having a gym membership at one point in my life and not actually using it. So, you know, I (laughs) I think we all are. (laughs)
2: Uh,
1: So, so where, where do you go from here? Right. So you've got, you got the asset intelligence, like what, 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 needs to happen and come together in a company for that to be successful, right? Because obviously the asset inventory conversation hasn't been successful, What's it going to take for a company as you we go down the path of asset intelligence? Um, what do companies need to be to do and be ready for as they start to head down this this journey?
2: Yeah, I think it then comes to really operationalizing the the intelligence just like you would in the threat intelligence space. And what that means is um, you know, in, in infusing uh, that intelligence into um, your business process automations into the way you you make uh, strategic decisions about about technology purchases. The way that you um, decide, hey, I know I need to get rid of my Windows Seven systems off my network this year, but I'm not really sure how many I have and how much budget I need to allocate to to solving that problem. Um, and so, and, and making sure that uh, the, the organization more broadly knows that this, this capability now exists, right? It could be even a finance team. They're trying to depreciate assets at the end of the year. How do I actually know that something was end of life and removed from the network versus uh, to your, I think you, you made the point earlier, right? Oh, oh, oh I, I thought that was decommissioned years ago, right? And yeah. it was a source of um, a breach that, that uh, caused a house of cards to just collapse, and so, I think you know it really is then um the commitment to operationalizing the technology and and not just treating it like a you know a gym membership that you're just gonna um you know try and feel good about because you've you've uh, you've purchased it yeah, I mean it's gotta happen so 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 Weird. where do you think there's gonna be i mean now that
1: you're you know you you're back in the entrepreneurial space and you, you know you're looking at, at you know competition. But as you look outside of your current segment and look across like cyber trading technologies and just kind of where are things are going, I mean, do, where do you think the, the product landscape is going to move to? I, I feel like there's going to have to be some sort of consolidation. Like there's so many companies, not enough customers, um, uh-huh. you know, like yeah. where, where do you see that space going, you know, and kind of what's your advice for folks that are, looking to become entrepreneurs going forward and as they're trying to get into the marketplace?
2: I think it really depends what you want in life. I, I think if, if you if you want to, a lot of the new companies that are being created these days are, are, are features, right? They're point solutions. Um, and that's why we have so many of them, because you have these point solutions that address a very specific thing. And um, they're either going to get go out of business or are they going to get picked up um, by a platform player that needs that kit? And Palo Alto has been doing this, right? They've been picking up these point solutions to um, build out a a platform and, you know, really, really own own the network, uh, the endpoint, the cloud. And and you see that across the board, right? CrowdStrike has recently acquired a, a digital identity company. Um, and so you are going to absolutely see that consolidation from, a, from, from the point of view of Hubble, uh, we, we, we had no interest in building a, a point solution, right? That's one of the reasons that we're not, um, don't consider ourselves as necessarily going after the cybersecurity asset management space, because I do think that is a, a capability that it exists within security when there's a, a, a need for this um, beyond just the security domain. Yep. And uh, yeah, and so I, I absolutely see that they're going to be a, the, the, the consolidation in the market will will continue. Um, I think that um, you know Microsoft is going to uh, continue to. I don't know if you saw that they risk they acquired RiskIQ. I did. Yeah, last week, really interesting acquisition. Uh, I think you're going to see uh, Microsoft and other large software businesses like them becoming more and more active in in the security space having security capabilities as part of a holistic platform uh, and um, yeah so I think that, that trend is going going to continue and I think listen again you know if, if, if you're okay with um, building a point solution you'll probably get to 15 20 million in, in ARR and get picked up there's there's nothing wrong with that I think at Hubble we're, we're really interested in building something uh, that really is a platform that really can um, move the needle for a number of stakeholders across the whole organization and um, become the nerve center of, of asset intelligence for the enterprise. Very cool, man. All right. We're going to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right
1: back with more from CEO and founder of Hubble, Tom Parker. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about
3: our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. And the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet. S I N E T.
5: In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
1: Well, Tom, I appreciate, you know, you giving us some insight into and advice for for entrepreneurs and, you know, how you've navigated your entrepreneurial career. Uh, but I'd love for you to do the same, you know, since you're, for practitioners, since, you know, you've got a unique balance of having been a practitioner and an entrepreneur. And I think it'd be cool to, you know, you know try to share that knowledge and expertise as, you know, companies are, you know, Hiring so many people these days, but, but, but people just don't know how to break in and where to start. So, what, what advice would you give to a new, you know, up and coming practitioner?
2: Yeah. So, at the beginning of the the session, we we talked about two types of people that get into security, and I I characterized the the first the first type and was uh, remiss to, to 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 mention the second. So, the second I think is those that see opportunity in cybersecurity and. Would like to get into the space. They're not sure which. You know, do I want to get into firewall management? Do I get into incident response? Uh, this pen testing thing seems kind of cool, but where where do I start? So first, I'll I'll address that that group. So I think, uh, it, you know, certainly understanding uh, where you want to go is 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 super important. Uh, I think foundational knowledge though is key. And I think this is where people that fall into it have some of the benefit because they're already a systems admin or um, they've already been coding and they understand Assembler. And so that kind of naturally pulls them into an area of, of specialization. Uh, I think if, uh, if, if you're not that in that group and you, you're trying to find your way, I think certainly getting that foundational knowledge is really important. That's going to make you the most successful in, in the business, in my opinion, uh, you you might be able to get by uh, doing incident response or pen testing without being able to really understand uh, the format of an NTFS file system or uh, how Nmap really works and um, the OSI seven layer model or you know these kind of fundamental stuff that you you know sounds boring but but actually it's pretty important as it turns out because someday may come along. And you get asked about those things, or something breaks, and you need to dig deep, and um, and you want to be the person that that has the answer, right? Because that's going to make you the the MVP in in your in your team. And so I think that would be my first my first piece of advice is you know understand the fundamentals. Uh, I think you know certainly a CS degree uh, can certainly be, be beneficial. I I didn't go that route in the end. Uh, but I did spend a lot of time understanding about the under, underpinnings of, of networking. I remember, you know, listen, growing up in, when I was in school, I, mathematics was one, one of my least favorite topics. And uh, my, one of my first jobs uh, after, the, after the magazine was uh, as a security, head of security, basically a CISO before we called them CISOs uh, for a, a software company. And I was assigned to an engineering team, and a lot of the engineering team had gone to Cambridge and York's Oxford Universities with um, firsts, which is like graduating with honors. I think that's the equivalent here in the States. And for the first year of their CS degrees was all focused on number theory and mathematics. <laughs> Your favorite. <laughs> And I mean, they, they were some of the most brilliant people I've worked with. Uh, they just, because they, we, we were building new protocols for UDP transmission, uh, UDP-based transmission of video streams over a network. And um, it was only with that under, under, you know, foundational knowledge were they able to, to, to innovate and, and execute on on something like that and so yeah those found in and, and that's that's the point I realized wow maybe I should have paid more attention in in mathematics but um yeah that foundational knowledge is is key um, no you know start creating ideas of, of, of where you want to go to I uh, recently had lunch with a a uh, extremely smart young lady who uh, is is starting a career in cybersecurity. She's currently um, in consulting. I think consulting is a great place to start because you get to meet with a lot of different people. You get to travel. You get to work with lots of different organizations. You get to do lots of different types of work, um, especially if it's in a large organization like Accenture. So um, you know, I think that's a, a good place for you to, to, to try a little bit of different things before you, before you, um, you know, decide you want to specialize in, in one particular thing for the rest of your career.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, for me, like when I left the government and went into consulting, that was the best decision I think I made, you know, could have made coming out of the government. Cause you need that cross sector experience. Um, and then you just get to build your huge network, and you see so many different problems that and challenges that happen in all those different sectors. And so that's, that's great advice, you know. For you look, you're also you know not just a practitioner, but you're you're a CEO, right? And and I think that's that's not lost on me in kind of how you're in a position to help other CEOs, whether they're in cybersecurity or not, think about how security fits into their business. So how, how are you, you know, when you talk to CEOs of other companies, like how are you helping them understand the value of
2: cyber from like the CEO to CEO, you know, conversation? Yeah, so I, I think where I try and um, pin it back to is, is fundamental business concepts, you know, shareholder value, um, resilience of the business, um, you know, obviously moving through uh for, for for some of these older organizations, right? moving through significant disruption and in, in their industries and transformation of their organizations, the move to digital, um, really changing the way that they make money, uh, rotating to the new, if you will. Um, and so thinking about how you do those things in a in a resilient manner, uh, especially if you're a big company is extremely com- complex. Now when I chat with some of the smaller businesses, startup business CEOs, uh, that may not have a security background. Um, one of the great things about about Hubble is that when we get questions about the security of our business, we obviously um, have, have, have really thought about many of the key concepts, um, all of the key concepts from from day one. But when I chat with uh, uh, other CEOs uh, that don't necessarily have that background, um, you know, we'll talk about the idea that listen, you, you need to start thinking about these things now. You might not have. A CISO by name, but you need to have someone that has that responsibility. You need the accountability. You need someone that's making sure that you are creating a culture of security from from day one, because, as you know, Andy, retrofitting is is never the, the yeah. is never a fun solution, right? Um, creating these principles from day one. In your engineering teams, in your DevOps organization, in your um, you know across the whole organization is is really really uh, going to provide you a, a significant advantage in the market. Um, I think the SANS Institute a long time ago made a did a study that they found that I think ev- everything was eighty percent more expensive if you had to retrofit it from a security control standpoint when you looked at things like DevOps teams and um, you know you see it everywhere. And so, definitely, you know, embracing that early on is is going to really help with your business. Yeah, no, and it's it's fantastic. So, but one more question, man, before we wrap this thing up. So,
1: I get the retrofitting conversation, and it's per- makes perfect sense. as We see all the time, but i I would love to get your take on. I feel like the investment community is or the venture community is not really incentivizing startups to build security upfront. Right. And I say that because I feel like they're so concerned. There's a, there's a premium on getting an MVP out the door, getting things up and running. And we don't want to pay for bolting security on upfront. Right. This is what it seems like to me. Like, what's your experience there? And like, what are you seeing um, in those types of conversations where, you know, we're almost companies are almost forced to bolt on security
2: after because they're they're now they don't have the cash to actually build up in the beginning. Yeah, I I think it's actually it's it is the responsibility of the investment community to start thinking about those sorts of things, um, to start requiring as part of their diligence um, a, a commitment to security with that particular product. Um, and it's not just about security. I think it's also about things like responsible innovation. Right? Um, are we investing in something that's going to be the next Cambridge Analytica? Right? That that is going to um, potentially misappropriate uh, people's information or do something that otherwise goes against um, some of the, the newer principles uh, that we're we're establishing in, uh, in the technology community. And so I, I think, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the, the inv- investors have a ton of influence right on, yeah. on how businesses are run. They, they typically will sit on a board of a company. And so I definitely think that, um, a more proactive interest from the investment community in, in some of those considerations will, uh, will, will go a very long way. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you coming on the show, buddy. Yeah, you got, you got it. This has been a lot of fun, Annie. Cool, we'll do it again.
1: All right, folks, time for it. us to bounce up out of here. But before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the cybersecurity, go to the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshu Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. <laughs>